We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make low-maintenance bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we had nobody coming into the showroom. So we started doing virtual visits via Microsoft Teams. We're able to see two or threefold the amount of customers we used to be able to see. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. I really think it's going to set a standard for retail moving forward. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast, Wednesday, March 28th. John McKechnie joined, as always, by Mario Puig. Mario, how you doing? Did pretty good. Um, I don't know. I guess everybody's screaming today about Odell Beckham and such things, and we're, we're going to have to catch up on that now, I suppose. Yeah, and uh, you know, to prepare myself properly, I tried the new uh, nacho fries from Taco Bell last night, and now I'm in a really good mood. Uh, so... It- wasn't that good they were surprisingly good like i i was uh because i was also gonna ask like why did you do that just general curiosity because they just opened a uh a taco bell cantina like a block and a half away from me downtown so does that mean they serve margaritas or something they don't which is the big issue it's like why open a cantina for taco bell if it doesn't have booze i don't get it is a cantina a bar or something i don't know what that word that's the supposed um you know kind of appeal of this taco bell cantina it's different than the regular one because uh, to be, but back in the day, oh no, that was a when it might have been a Wendy's and a Taco Bell. There was something on State Street. I remember it's in that same spot. Oh, okay. I thought they were canceling that plan because of specifically the fact that uh, like ten years ago they also had a Taco Bell and also the Wendy's, but they basically. Um, they kind of were cantinas, but not because Taco Bell was selling any alcohol. Um, it just became like the a, a bit of like an opium den, kind of like right outside the right outside the restaurant. So it's good to see like they got that 
economy back going. I don't know. Like now I know where I can go get some opium or something. Yeah. It is kind of just like this dank little corner of, of state street. It was like a homeless camp at the time. Yeah. Yeah. You can't see the sunlight from there. And yeah, there's definitely a lot of people camping out in there and maybe pouring out their flasks into cantina inside last. Yeah. It's probably like a cantina inside and then like even cheaper alcohol outside. Yeah. But, uh, moral of the story, those nacho fries, pretty solid so i was happy to uh to well i'm glad you had enough nacho fries to see more clearly on these very solemn uh discussions we're about to have i haven't tried those yet let's open it up with the most solemn of them all so yeah no fries in me so i might not make as much sense but like the whole old odo beckham thing is like um I have to wonder if this is kind of a little bit media created and i know that the giants are kind of asking for it and that they're being just kind of dumb in general of how they're handling things handling things but i feel like to be fair the quotes that i've seen were kind of them just doing the whole not going to confirm not going to deny thing which i think it's legitimate to say like any player on our roster is up for sale if someone's willing to pay a certain amount i don't think there's anything wrong with that so i don't really understand like the outrage over like specifically the thing where it's like they won't say that he'll be on the team it's like i don't i think it's fine to say that to not say that so uh, i don't care but there's also like the whole thing where they could come out and say like if we do move him it's not because we care about any of this stupid like drama that you people synthesize like we don't care it's it's not like we're trying to make a more uh you know, boot camp like environment here by getting him out of here. We don't consider him a character issue, but they're also declining to say like that clearly. So you're kind of, you're kind of forced to interpret this way. And, and you know, if you're less charitable about the interpretation, you might conclude like, yeah, they're just being stupid and reckless with their best player, a player that they generally should not have any interest in trading. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, he's, he's the best player that they've had in a long time. I think, uh, Chris Liss, our, our resident football expert slash, uh, resident giants fan said that he's the best player they've had since LT. Uh, yeah. That's probably, probably fair to say maybe like Tiki Barber, but yeah, somebody like the stray hand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so along, along those lines, like uh, Odell, you know, in, in four short seasons has kind of already reached that rarefied air to where it would be uh, pretty jarring for, uh, for him to be moved to for the giants to move on from him but at the same time if they're able to capitalize on the, on the asking price uh Schefter this morning uh tweeted out from espn that um you know they'd be looking for at least two first round picks for odell beckham um so that's that's definitely a hefty price they would uh, need more pay. i think like, really because i mean if if a guy like this is both instances of Jerry Jones being stupid, so I guess you can't just set the market on that basis. But like Joey Galloway and Roy Williams both cost two first round picks, you know. So I feel like Beckham, you got to get two first round picks, uh, maybe three, but like at but least this is, this is also baking in that they, the the team trading for him would have to come up with an extension for him too right yeah but i just i feel like with a player this good it's like you know you're willing to pay whatever it is and if you aren't you're not trading for him but it's like that player is still so rare as a talent that you don't um i don't think you can let a discount into it if you're the giants like you have to get every single cent out of them Um, and i don't think anyone's willing to pay what it they should ask for him so i don't expect him to go anywhere but at the very least, if they if they only get two first round picks, 
it's like I, on the one hand, it's like the Rams have been the most clearly linked to him. And if they're just going to give him the Watkins role, it's like, why would you even spend a fourth round pick on that role, let alone two first? But if I was some other team, uh, you know, it's like if he goes to Green Bay, maybe like I would pay two first round picks for Odell Beckham if I was Green Bay and probably a bunch of other teams. But still, the Giants should not accept that. Not to not to bum you out, but I saw, uh, you know, of the other teams potentially linked uh, to to Odell or being interested the Browns no I don't believe that (laughs) um yeah I mean I guess I guess I could see it somehow but I in terms of like they have the assets to pay the price yeah but it's like I don't know Dorsey seems like a bit of a doofus I don't I don't know if he would be able to stand Odell Beckham's personality basically but I could be wrong and they do have the most ammo to get him I guess but uh they're also a bit full at receiver I think to be coughing up that sort of um maybe they could put i think i have seen um i'm i wish i knew who kind of threw this out there but in order to make that trade work they would probably be sending Corey coleman over to the Giants. yeah yeah i guess that would make sense and um if if they get darnold at the first pick it would obviously be good to have someone like odell beckham around but um yeah i i guess i yeah further thought i would have to concede i guess cleveland's like one of the most likely if maybe the most likely just still feels like it's probably not going to happen to me i don't know yeah that, that's basically what it boils down to like in this hypothetical scenario the browns make a ton of sense but it just you know the, the thing that squashes all of it is that it probably the likely li- likelihood of this actually happening is pretty far-fetched right and uh, but yeah as far as the cap space to take on that next contract you would think cleveland and uh, maybe like san francisco are the best teams for that but cleveland's the only one with a stockpile of uh tradable assets basically and isn't uh you know in the future with with uh, garoppolo's new contract about to kick in uh you know down the line that fitting odell's contract and garoppolo's would be a little bit more difficult than say the browns having to or getting basically to save uh save some money on a rookie deal for, yeah. for a quarterback right that helps the browns too but uh luckily for the uh, 49ers it's like they had so much cap space this year they were able to put a lot of uh that garoppolo money into this year so that it's actually it's it's not like a rookie contract in the next however many but it still is a lot less than it would be for most teams okay. uh, to pay for a garoppolo type but i think the giants should hold on to him it's like even if you get first round three first round picks it's really easy to not get uh, some, you know, even half as much as what Odell right now presents. That's true. I mean, this guy is a, you know, bona fide all-star or superstar. I'm sorry that, um, you know, could be one of the, and go down as like one of the best uh, wide receivers of the, of this century. And the so. thing is with like all, all the stuff about, basically like all the things people actually fuss about with him do not matter like all the controversy is synthetic there's nothing to it it's like the if they move him it comes down to because someone paid them enough not because of like any kind of drama or anything stupid like that yeah it, it does seem like a lot of that stuff is uh kind of overblown and maybe like a little bit uh i don't know tabloidy just, basically yeah, exactly exactly like the whole oh is new york so we gotta you know come up with something about him being a diva or some sort of problem off the field uh let's get into a couple of other acquisitions that have happened over the course of the last week uh earlier on wednesday uh this signing made me happy uh, ben watson going to the saints so he doesn't have to be out to pasture 
catching Joe Flacco um, <laughs> checkdowns anymore. He actually gets to go back to New Orleans where he had, correct me if I'm wrong, his best NFL season was 2015 uh, when he was yeah. with the Saints. Yeah, it looks that way. And I don't know what to make of Ben Watson, really. His production was surprisingly good last year. Like 6.6 yards per target isn't good, but it is good on a Joe Flacco offense. Yeah, that, that probably averages right around that. Yeah, it's like, did Joe Flacco average 6.6 yards per pass? That might, we might be giving him too much credit. Yeah, so uh, I, I think, yeah, Watson's one of those guys where he was super athletic coming into the league, so he can be 37 and keep playing, but I'm also kind of skeptical that he's going to make like a fantasy impact per se. It's like easy to imagine the Saints getting a rookie, maybe even like Gesicki in the first round and kind of like just using Watson to, to let them acclimate for a year without taking on a full workload. But yeah, hopefully at least it, this allows everyone to get some closure on Kobe Fleener. It's never going to happen. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that was uh, one of the next points I was going to bring up, but yeah, I think it, it's fair to assume that, you know, even if in the scenario that you bring up where, where the saints go early after tight end, um, Watson still probably has a, you know, doubles the production of what Fleener had last year, even if there's a rookie threat in there. Yeah, let's see. Fleener had uh, 295 yards. So, yeah, you can you would think that Watson could do like 550, 600 and five touchdowns or something like I that, do. even if they do add a Gasicki type. I, I just think that maybe maybe this is a one year stop gap, I think, as far as as the tight ends go. And maybe maybe the Saints kind of kick that can down the road a little bit, because I know in my mock draft, I, I had the Saints going after a tight end. I know in other mock drafts I've seen that uh, they've had uh, the Saints going after a tight end. But this, again, uh, kind of a recurring theme of our, of our podcast since we got it restarted is that this is a bad uh, tight end class. So I think it, it's smart for the Saints to just get a one-year you know, stopgap, in my opinion. Yeah, it could be that. and But also with tight end rookies, it's like you, there's no such thing usually as yeah. plugging one in. So it's like they could do both. It's like Ben Watson could be the stopgap stop gap because they – you know, need the short term option while they develop a rookie. And it doesn't need to be Gasicki. It could be like somebody in the second or third round. It could be nobody at all. Um, I think they're in a, you know, they're in a good BPA, best player available kind of spot with a loaded roster they have. So might be Gasicki, but it's not because they need him really. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And, and again, to your point on, on rookie tight ends, I mean, outside of hunter henry we really haven't had one produce much of anything in the it's last like oj howard got a lot of like responsibility but so much of it wasn't fantasy pertinent yeah. that it was easy to to not notice that he was you know basically doing a heavy lifting workload as, as a rookie but uh yeah generally it, that's a pretty rare exception exactly exactly and then another signing um I'm, i know this one uh hits a little close to home wasn't wasn't uh where either of us were hoping especially you where he was going to land nope. but Terrell Pryor going to the Jets uh I want you to say your piece on this it's a bad play it's the wrong place for him to go and the Jets are dumb for even trying to sign him I mean they have Robbie Anderson who like sorry this thing with his arrest is kind of a like the speeding part is the worst part of it like you can I, I can't say you know too much about it, but like part of the charge is just crap nonsense. It's like a cop misinterpreting what he was saying as as a threat to his family when it probably wasn't. Oh right. Um, yeah. So anyway, like that's that's I think where like the felony comes in. And anytime you see some uh, 
you know, off the field issue characterized as a resisting arrest arrest, you know, it's dumb. Like you don't like the whole idea, the concept of resisting arrest as a charge with no supplementary charge is just categorically absurd. So it's uh, it's basically like what you get when you make a cop mad, which you shouldn't do that. But it's also not a reason to like cut a guy or like generally plan on getting rid of one of the best young receivers in the league. So sure. it's like I think Robbie Anderson's around for the long haul. It's like Jermaine Curse was better than I expected him to be last year. They still got those two second year guys, Chad Hansen and uh, Ardarius Stewart. Not mm-hmm. that I expect anything in particular out of them, but they're there. It seems like uh, it's like Curly we can't seem to get rid of. I don't know. So I don't think it's going to be a, as big of a pie to go around his last year like clearly i think that was a best case scenario for mccown i'm not expecting anything like it again even if he is pretty good still mm-hmm. i'm not expecting last year from him so it's just it strikes me as a small pie to go around in a receiver rotation that's already pretty i think well stocked despite its lack of like star power and you have to think at this point that anderson is a better player than prior so it's not like he's a pushing one of those guys out of the picture very easily and you know another thing you you know you've done extensive uh, research on this throughout the offseason uh, with your with your look into coaching staffs and coordinators and you know that uh, the Jets promoted an in-house guy after their offensive coordinator from last year who actually got you know a, drew a ton of blood from the stone relative to you know what our expectations were uh, so they, they promote this guy and I mean do you think I mean even with prior in the fold like are you optimistic at all that, that this might be able to work I don't know what to make of it because the the guy that got rid of John Morton, I thought he did a pretty good job. Like I, I think you can give McCown a lot of credit, Anderson a lot of credit, and still say, oh, actually I forgot they have Quincy Anunua too. So yeah, what is Pryor doing there? That's stupid. They put a second round tender on Anunua. He's probably pretty good. So anyway. Uh, Bates, I don't know what to expect exactly, and I, I would imagine they try to generally execute similar concepts as last year. Um, but Bates was just the, the quarterbacks coach. Uh, it was Morton who was the coordinator, and Morton was a guy who was under Sean Payton the two previous years. So it's like there probably was some pedigree there, even though we I still don't really even know who Morton is. But uh, Bates, by contrast, just doesn't really seem to have any pedigree, and he's like a quarterbacks coach. Uh, I think he was out of the league a few years before that. And the only time he was an offensive coordinator was with the Seahawks for one year. I want to say 2010. And it was a year where uh, like Matt Hasselbeck had a, just a d- disastrous season. I think it might've been when they traded for Marshawn Lynch and he finished the year with like 500 yards and that did nothing. The, I believe that was a beast quake year though. In the playoffs was Hasselbeck the quarterback that year. Was it the 2010 season? I know was, I think that was the year that no one wanted to win the NFC West. So the, the Seahawks just kind of managed to do it. And then yeah. uh, beat the saints in the first round. Yeah. That might've been the beast quake one, but either way their offense was really bad in the regular season. <laughs> it was the only time he was an offensive quarterback after that so i'm expecting some downgrade from that prior should have gone though to seattle like that that receiver rotation is garbage aside from i mean i still like tyler lockett's skill set a bit but i think he probably needs to rebrand as a slot receiver because i don't know if there's any reason to think he'll ever be as fast as he was before he had the compound leg fracture and it's like Mm -hmm. baldwin mostly operates in the slot so but prior with his size and speed would have been such a great fit with Russell Wilson's like broken play style of passing. Right. Like he's, he is so huge and fast. Like we saw last year, he just ran right past Marcus Peters for an easy touchdown against the chiefs. Just have him do things like that. And not so much like curls and slants. Like he's a build up speed guy. He's not 
experienced as a receiver. He's a former quarterback as of like two years ago. Mm-hmm. Like you shouldn't expect him to be a good possession receiver or like refined route runner, but he's so fast and has a huge catch radius. Just send him running. Like no one can run with him, but instead he's going to be on the jets where it's like, might not even be getting snaps. It's yeah. like there's Anunua and Anderson are plausibly better than him. And as much as I like prior, it's like those two are just pretty good receiver prospects. And then curse, uh, isn't going to disappear. I don't think. Yeah. So, I mean, th- this just seems like a, a poor landing spot for, for prior. So look again, a little bit surprised that things kind of panned out, uh, that way. Although in the end, this is just a one-year deal. So maybe, uh, you know, he, he kind of gets himself back on the right side of things, uh, this year, because obviously last year ended up being kind of disappointing for, you know, a, a litany of reasons. It was kind of yes. just ridiculous. Um, but, uh, let's let's move on another move uh this one we, we kind of like prefaced it last week but it, it actually became official with alan hearns uh inking a deal uh with dallas dallas had about a million receivers into their uh office main offices last week and then they ended up signing hearns and deontay thompson so what's your read on hearns's acquisition there for the cowboys and also what might this mean for des bryant so uh, i don't know what it means directly for des bryant but for what it's worth uh, yahoo sports uh, reporter jordan schultz is not uh saying as like sourced information like they're gonna cut des bryant but he, he apparently is sure enough in whatever sourced information that he has that he's willing to say dallas will eventually cut des bryant even if it's after the draft or something like that so take that for what it's worth i don't i don't really know what what else to work with on that one um i, f- I feel like personally like there might be some kind of like showdown to happen before that's definite but there, there's no way this ends well or smoothly it's going to be stinky right and, and it's kind of egos in the, involved and just like the personalities yeah and i kind of i don't even i don't even know if i consider like does that much of an ego case like i think he's actually pretty like you know, earnest and, and, uh, not at all like trying to be like stubborn or anything, but also it's like to single him out as like the problem with the receivers is, is kind of ridiculous. And it's true. 16 million, I think is what his cap hit is. And that's the same as like Sammy Watkins and Jarvis Landry. So it's like, in some sense, that's perfectly up to the market rate. If he's the guy he was two years ago, three years ago, I don't know how to gauge what the likelihood of that is. Like there's a chance he was playing hurt last year and that had something to do with it because generally guys don't decline as fast as he otherwise would be declining if it weren't an injury to explain right. the lack of explosiveness. So I I feel like Dallas like has some reason to kind of gripe about the number if he has declined. But since we don't know that he has, they're kind of just like scapegoating him for the fact that they are spending uh, more money on Jason Bol- Witten, which is insane that, that like he's still starting for an NFL team. Uh, you know, he's obviously like a living legend for the Cowboys, but he was 20 point, when he got into the NFL and he is 47 years old. Yes. And so with, he's, he's been playing 30 years in the NFL. He's just made of concrete at this point. There are no joints. It's just a, a large mass of concrete that like kind of topples over down the field. Yeah, and I don't know what you can do with that, but they're paying him quite a bit to be whatever that is supposed to be. And, uh, you know, they're kind of in this spot of be- having tight finances largely because they spent uh, about $9 million a year on Cole Beasley and Terrence Williams, who it's like you could have always told, like, they're not worth 
more than maybe like a million and a half a year. Yeah, let those guys test the market and see what comes back, what they come back with because yeah. like before they sign those guys, obviously, but like they wouldn't be drawing the numbers that they ended up getting from the Cowboys anywhere else. I don't think Williams would, or Beasley are necessarily guarantees to be on a roster. Like if they weren't in Dallas, it's basically just a make work situation for them because Jerry Jones is so bad at you know talent evaluation and handling contracts generally so it's Mm -hmm. this is a recurring thing in dallas it always happens over and over and over they get into these crunches from bad roster management to the point where it's like you know previously it was uh they've got romo but like all these other things aren't lining up in romo's big contract they had to pay and then they get to uh you know Marcus Lawrence and they have him break out and now they have to overpay because they couldn't uh, just clear up the space to have the contract to, to get him, you know, to a manageable yearly level. And mm-hmm. they just stay trapped in that scenario and, and always like overreacting, overcompensating to account for the new weak spot that they generate from having to spend so inefficiency. So it's like last year they'd spend the taco Charlton pick in the first round because they think they screwed up all their defensive end personnel. And because they had to, like overreact to that now they're like kind of over invested in their kind of like uh, draft capital in the end spot when they could have just resigned lawrence just things like that and mm-hmm. the wide receiver version of it is playing out now with dallas it it always results with some other part of the team getting blown up uh, even if that particular spot is resolved vaguely okay so what do, what does what football sense does hearns make there like does he oh right hearns. Do, isn't he like a little bit redundant as far as skill set to does well hearns did a lot in the slot okay. last year and uh, last couple of years rather in jacksonville um but is he i mean wouldn't he wouldn't a guy that's six foot three and 200 pounds be able to work on the outside i mean shouldn't he be able to do that he's a pretty acrobatic guy so yeah he can play all over it's just that they've pretty much always used des outside i think Terrence Williams plays outside. They had Cole Beasley in the slot. I guess I'd be surprised if they pushed out Williams before Beasley, especially with Hearns having you know a recent track record at, at the slot position. But he's he's going to play over one of them, maybe both, depending on how they split up the snaps at receiver. But Hearns can play inside or out. Okay, uh, I think Des could too, but I don't think they've used him inside pretty much ever. And uh, it's something for them to consider if they do keep him, because if he is declining, maybe he can work a little better in that part of the field rather than facing the premier corners on the outside. But uh, we'll see. I'm not expecting it to be a good, you know, situation at receiver for Dallas going into this year for, if you're a Hearns owner, you're hoping Des gets cut because then Hearns is going to get a lot of target volume, I think. And I still think Dak Prescott's a really good quarterback. So uh, even if the Dallas offense is ugly in its passing game, I I think uh, Hearns is good enough and Prescott is good enough that those two will be efficient. It's just that everything else is going to be dead end. Well, uh, before we get on to uh, some greener pastures uh, in terms of teams with some brighter outlooks, we're going to take a quick minute here to hear a word from our sponsors. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. 
All right, let's jump back in here, Mario. Um, so we got two teams that have kind of been the the story, the best storylines of the NFL offseason uh, to this point uh, with the Rams and the Bears. So first of all, I want to jump into the Rams. I, I know that they haven't necessarily done a, a ton as far as like the from a fantasy aspect um, because most of their acquisitions have been on the defensive side of the ball. But even even those. I think they they still bear conversation in in this in this podcast because it, I mean the Rams are legitimate Super Bowl contenders. It seems like they are really loading up to make a push this year. Right, they cut some of the fat with Alec Ogletree going to the Giants, and in in some sense that could be creating a need on the inside. But I think Ogletree was enough of an underachiever and not an ideal fit for a three four inside spot that it's probably one of those cases where they aren't going to lose anything. They no. still might be weak at that spot, but it just as simple as they were previously also like it's not a downgrade whatever whatever it means didn't they hadn't they signed him to like a pretty like a contract that everyone immediately was was like wait a second why are they giving him this kind of money uh yeah i can't remember when that was if whether that was a it's been sneed there for a while right yes i mean he was so he it, was the one that orchestrated the whole you know trading out so the redskins would get our and he still is there right so because yes. maybe that was like mcveigh arrives and he's like oh by the way this contract was dumb and yeah ogletree signed that in october Huh, that is bizarre then. Because, um, yeah, it's, the book on Ogletree was always the same, even back at Georgia. It's just like he's really slow to read plays, but he's like he's got good like side-to-side you know, length and athleticism, and he can blitz, and he'll intercept a pass and run for a touchdown with it, but he can't get off a block, and he doesn't know where the ball's going. And, you know, going back to, to the front office and Sneed for a second, let's remember that... Uh, Taven Austin. With the, with the picks that they acquired from the Redskins... I don't think any of them are on an NFL roster now, except for. Or is I don't know. Was, like I don't. I, I don't know who all was in that one. It's probably somebody like Brockers or somebody like that that they got from that. No, no one's at least starting caliber. I saw. I saw right. a screenshot of of the guys recently, and it. You know, let's uh, just blame. Need to jump let's just on them. let's just blame Fisher for that too. Okay. Like maybe Fisher was like, "I'm the GM," less, and he was like, "Okay," and Fisher, just let Fisher, Fisher does do like it. to take a lot of credit for for the. Um, and it did seem like Fisher type things to do in each instance it's like maybe sneed is fisher like but like at the very least fisher probably had a hand in it and maybe mcveigh has since you know shown sneed the light or something like that i don't know uh but yeah what they're doing now seems rather prudent in contrast it's like i i think that Watkins trade might seem like pointless to some people but uh if they've signed fewer free agents I, I don't know when this is determined exactly but it's like imagine if that Watkins contract ends up being a compensatory pick for them now um not now this year but next year right that would be that would be a pretty good way to you know they get them on a rental and then get paid in a draft pick basically for doing so and uh but yeah they got to basically get a field stretcher because uh they don't need someone as good as Watkins, but they need a field stretcher because that's what he did. It's like Cooper Cup and Robert Woods aren't as good as their numbers were last year. They needed the they needed Watkins to clear up space for them, intermediate underneath, and he did that. But uh, that threat that he posed that opened it up that way is probably something a lot of players can just basically anybody who's fast can pose. Uh, you know, somebody like a Ted Ginn would have cut it pretty well i think so um losing Watkins isn't necessarily going to have an effect as you know proportionate to Watkins' actual talent level and in the meantime uh the defense is going to be way better so it's like i think right now you can say the offense will be basically what it was last year as long as they get some speed 
uh, on the outside to open things up for golf. Cause I don't think golf can throw downfield. I think he needs someone clearing the safeties, you know, screwing up the zone coverages of the linebackers a little bit so he can time some intermediate routes here. Sure. Um, but that shouldn't cost that much. And in the meantime, in Demacong Sioux playing next to Aaron Donald, uh, Aaron Donald is just, um, like you're going to hear a lot of what sounds like hyperbole with this and also from me specifically, but like, I don't think I've ever seen anything like those two playing together. That is terrifying because I mean, you you know, these are guys that are defensive player of the year caliber guys every single year. And I think Donald is maybe coming off his best professional season. He's still like scratching the surface of like his prime. So I mean, Sue's been like, he's had a good career, but he's also underachieved. People don't remember, but he can be an absolute monster. He almost won the Heisman trophy as a, as like a nose tackle. Right. And I'm pretty sure dolphins were asking him to do a lot of like two gap stuff that doesn't really suit him. And by two gap, I basically mean like, trying to hold a lane rather than crash through it like a one gap scheme would say like split the guard and the tackle and the two gap is like hold the guard and the tackle from getting past you kind of thing uh so in a wade phillips defense he's going to be playing one gap and aaron aaron donald and him are both going to be playing one gap i think they're going to give up rushing yardage again this year but i think it's going to be it's going to work totally fine because it's like even if you peel off like three first downs mostly on the running game that it all it takes is that one pass play that you eventually have to call before Sue, you know, rips your quarterback's torso apart. And someone, someone had a great response, you know, um, it might've been Charles McDonald's like, yes. Yeah. Running, running the ball. That's the way you beat the the Rams, like in in a sarcastic way, because you can only run it so much in today's NFL. It's just, you know, like you said, some of those yards they'll be giving up, but they will be kind of fluffy. And then when it gets down to it and you do need to throw it because you do, yeah, they're in deep trouble. The opposing quarterbacks in deep trouble. Right. Eventually, it's like you're even, even though you're running the ball well, you're going to have that one time on first and ten where it's second and nine instead of you know second and four, and that's the point where it's going to be at high risk of going very badly for you. And it's it's one thing where again, I don't know what at all to expect except uh, just carnage. Like I don't know what it's going to look like exactly. I can't. I never could have imagined two players like that playing in a next to each other let alone in a wade phillips defense and like quarterbacks are gonna have to like wait for receivers to get open because they have peters and Talib on the outside yeah just, their wide about the corners so, so, yeah. like the, the quarterbacks are gonna you know have nowhere said. to throw and then they're just gonna get enveloped by two just mean people yeah uh, wade phillips by the way always a great tweeter but he's like really coming into his own at a uh, age 75 or whatever <laughs> he's <laughs> getting into remarkable. memes he's getting into memes he's, uh he's you know spongebob's big right now and he's yeah he's he got that it. one in response to the, the sue signing and before that he pointed out like we've cornered the market and i guess he's he's right he's uh, it's it's expensive agency not free folks <laughs> and but yeah he's right they got talib and peters and it's just gonna be you know like junkyard dog defense like they're they're gonna let you get a couple first downs because it's they pretty much know uh eventually you're gonna have to throw the ball and you're gonna have to throw the ball worrying about what to do about in Demacong Sue and Aaron Donald. And if you do manage to get the ball away, it's like Talib and Peters are probably sitting on it, especially if it's a short route, which you probably are running because you can't do a seven step drop. Nope. So, uh, 
Yeah, and then that in the context of how on offense they have a very up-tempo style of play until they get the lead and then they kind of like sit on the ball a bit but with them going up tempo and probably being good at it again it's like this is a team that's going to develop leads quickly in most games and once the lead occurs then you start to have to throw even if you don't want to so it just seems like they, they could really just be a a really really dominant team in a way that i i don't know i, I want to say like at least like you know, like bears, uh, under lovey Smith, Ron Rivera style defense, but this could be like the most disruptive defense we've seen since the 2000 Ravens or something like that. That's, I mean, that's pretty serious praise, but at the same time, I mean, uh, you know, it's a similar mentality where that defense is going to be just absolutely suffocating. It's going to, it's going to break the will, um, of opposing offenses. And, and then just circling back quick, you know, with the Rams and their offense, I think that's also, you know, something that hasn't been mentioned enough that Goff is entering year three. I, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's, it's logical to think that you know, considering the massive step forward he took last year, I think he can. He's still getting better. So I mean, this this offense could be humming. I know it won't have the Sammy Watkins element to it, but this offense could get better by virtue of Goff continuing to improve as well. Yeah, he'll get better. I don't know how much we can expect in his game getting better as far as downfield. Like his arm is just kind of limited, I think. But at the very least, I, f- I feel like he could be just kind of like a better Andy Dalton or something like that, where it's like, you're never going to necessarily consider him top eight or 10 or something like that. But, uh, at least, you know, good enough to commit to, especially with McVeigh running things. Sure. And then, uh, you know, let, let's move on to another team that's been drawing a lot of headlines and for, for good reason. Um, I know you're really excited about the, what this team has kind of come up with over the last couple of months, uh, the Chicago bears. Um, and you know, this week, uh, with the NFL, all their coaches, uh, hanging out together in Hawaiian shirts down in Florida, I think. Um, you know, there have been some great quotes, and their new coach uh, Matt Nagy was was pretty, you know, open and honest about what uh, his intentions were with, with this offense. So, what were your reactions to that? Right, he basically clarified that not only are they going to be an up tempo offense, which is like I feel like we've been screaming about that for like a month and a half now, and it's finally catching on as like a mainstream narrative as of this morning. But yeah, they didn't hire Mark Helfrich to call plays, or at least I don't think they did. I think they, I think they hired him to basically run a Chip Kelly offense in practice for us. Like, make sure everyone's conditioning is up to speed so that we can run seventy plus plays a game, so we can go no huddle whenever we feel like it, no questions asked. Uh, have all these people, you know, trained in like jet sweep motions technique timing all that stuff and it's like helfrick can run a practice that way uh we saw him at oregon he was not good when left in charge of like strategic considerations he was awful and matt nagy is an offensive coordinator former arena league quarterback star himself so it's like why wouldn't he be running the offense he's going to do it um so helfrick's basically there because he can he knows all the terms and concepts that Nagy wants executed and he doesn't need to be there to do it now because Helfrick can, can just kind of keep things running for him. He, like, he can like, uh, you know, kind of give ideas like the, the general, uh, thesis of part of this article, um, that was in the Chicago sun times is that, you know, effectively Helfrich is a guy that can bounce ideas off of Nagy. Nagy can, you know, uh, cherry pick the the good parts that the parts that will actually work within the context of the offense and you know i think helfridge can bring uh certain things as far as you know rpo concepts and, and right. tempo stuff uh, that they can plug into what's already going to be like a pretty uh 
interesting and, and unique type of scheme. Right. So it's not just Helfrich, the, the Chip Kelly guy. It's also Jason Lascalzo, the Mike Leach guy, who's their, the strength and conditioning coach at Washington State, and they brought him Got over. ready to run 80 plays, 80 plus plays a game. Right. That's what, that's at so, college. yeah, gosh, yeah. So it's like a, an NFL, the NFL, they, they make the refs hold on to the ball every so often. So you can't go no huddle all the time. And even when you do go no huddle, they hold on to the ball in a way that they don't in college football. It's really stupid. But what the result is basically is like in college football, when you have a no huddle chip Kelly style offense you get like 80 82 plays per game in the NFL uh, the highest I want to say the last couple of years has been around like uh, 64 70 probably 60 70. Uh, maybe even like 67 or something because Chip Kelly's offense uh, was the fastest one by far in recent memory. It's like the last two years it was the 49ers and I'm basing this on football outsiders time uh, per snap. I think it's called and uh, basically the 49ers were like 25 the last two years and they were the fastest moving offense in the league. The last two times Chip Kelly was on the field or was in the NFL. It was something like 22 seconds. And so like that would be probably the difference of, I don't know, probably like at least four plays a game, five plays. And when it's when you catch an offense on one of its like outlier days, that's when you can really, you know, get a crazy total. It's like in a shootout game where everybody's, scoring easily it's like the chip kelly kind of offense can hit 80 plays in a game like that um but still they averaged out at just like 70 whereas the rest of the league kind of bounces between like 63 65 uh but basically what this what this means is i think you can project bigger volume with the bears players than the consensus was implying as of even a few days ago it's like whatever you think the bears are going to be just inflated a little bit mm-hmm. like they're going to run more plays than you thought so just inflated a little bit at least but i'm also optimistic that they'll be more efficient than people are giving them credit for uh trey burton i guess is maybe the most tangible takeaway like news takeaaway from this because uh Nagy was saying he's basically going to play slot receiver and in this offense it's, it's, yeah, it's music to everyone's ears because he said he's going to be my travis kelsey right and the way kelsey was used there it's, it's like he's an exceptional athlete so he can do receiver stuff anyway but it's like this particular slot receiver position is kind of conceptualized as a bit more like a h-back hybrid receiver uh big body basically not like five foot nine slot slot receiver like we've seen so many times so burton's gonna split some of the slot looks uh with uh taylor gabriel when they go three wide they can't have them both in the slot most of the time four wide they're probably your two slot guys and uh, i think you're gonna see burton in a lot of other places too like i wouldn't rule out carries for him wildcat snaps stuff like that but we have reason to think with whatever else happens like he might be a 60 catch kind of tight end and i think yeah it's you're gonna see his adp and best ball leagues go up and reasonably so it's like i've been getting him in draft.com uh best ball drafts pretty late but i know that's over now after yeah. today <laughs> that's that de- yeah that's definitely over any anytime that you see you know something like the the kelsey comparison and, and you know i think just getting into an offense that's you know equally creative to what uh he was playing in in philadelphia where he's actually going to be a featured part of it uh that's huge so i want to say he was probably going 15th 16th round something like that now he's probably at risk of going in like the 10th that yeah because it falls off quick you're going to be basically looking at somebody like him versus delaney walker versus like jack doyle or something like that and i'd yeah i'd rather bet on the upside there for yeah i'd much rather have burton than those two and it's like when the drop off that you're looking at is as pronounced as that would be it's like sometimes you got to go around earlier than you'd 
base the ADP on. So yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a really good point. And then, uh, you know, another thing that, that he was talking about, um, I think it's something that, that maybe some people, you know, remember, um, but Trubisky was recruited as a dual threat quarterback. He's a guy that can move. Uh, yeah. He's, he's a, a good guy runner. That, that can run a fair bit. And, you know, Nagy was saying, uh, you know, in this article uh, that they're going to try to get the most out of him uh, in that type of capacity too. whether that's, you know, I don't think it's going to mean like a ton of like rushing yards per, per se, but like they're going to get him, you know, moving out in space, you know, kind of like how Alex Smith was a really good athlete mm-hmm. uh, and he got the most out of him in that in that sense, kind of stre- stresses the defense by by the extension of plays and, you know, the threat of being able to run if things break down. Yeah, so I actually made some kind of crude projections for the Bears just really quickly on a notepad. And looking at how Chip Kelly's last two offenses did about 69, 70 plays per game and were still easily the fastest in the league, I projected something similar to that for plays per game, but a little bit less, both because uh, I think the Bears are going to be a little more run heavy than the Eagles were, even though the Eagles were pretty run heavy. It's like, I think. Uh, I think that Trubisky being the dual threat guy and having Howard and Cohen there, I think they have reason to base it a little more on the ground than uh, Kansas City, too, did. Uh, so going with that, I lowered it a little bit. Still came out to 1,096 plays, which is like 68 and a half per game, which even if you project for Trubisky missing something like you know five series for uh, injury, blowout, whatever, Still comes out in my projection to like 4,100 yards passing, 350 yards rushing, four touchdowns on the ground. That rushing production is basically twice what I've seen other people projecting. I think that's something people are going to have to tweak going forward because, yeah, I mean, they're, it's, it's not that he's going to be a Cam Newton style runner, but he still is like a very, very well versed on run pass options for playing under Larry Fedora at North Carolina. He's a good athlete, ran well last year. I think you can get more efficiency out of him because the the Nagy scheme is going to put him in much better position than John Fox's yeah. like wishbone offense. And he also like seems to throw better when he's when he's moving when he gets himself outside of the pocket it's you would probably know better than me on that one yeah i, I don't remember anything in particular but uh it just yeah. it just felt like he felt more comfortable when when he gets himself moving um you know yeah, i guess that probably simplifies the read a little bit yeah, like you're yeah, looking less at a mess in the field the, yeah, I guess. it's not a tangled uh you know mass in the middle of the field you can kind of and he's just got better weapons now i mean mm-hmm. I, I think all of this kind of points to a, a potential for, at least for a fantasy aspect i think that you are definitely right on in thinking that this is kind of a gold mine that's just starting to get tapped. Right. And we'll have to see how like Gabriel Burton, even Tariq Cohen kind of split things as like slot pass catchers. But uh, I think I'm lower on Cameron Meredith than some people like he's, he's an interesting player, a promising one, but I want to see how he's doing after that knee injury. Like he had, a, he had more than just the ACL. I think it was at least the MCL also. It was, yeah, it was pretty bad. Uh, yeah, the bears had some gross injuries last year. Jeez. Yeah, so that hopefully that that uh, Washington State guy can help with that also. But um, yeah, in any case, I think Allen Robinson's doing going to do better than people are pricing him as right now. Like I think, uh, like my relatively modest uh, projection, like I didn't, I wasn't as aggressive as I could have been with it. Still came out with him uh, at like eighty catches for like thousand fifty eleven hundred yards and eight touchdowns Mm -hmm. so yeah it could be worse than that but i think he could easily be better than that too and he's been going in like the fifth round of a lot of drafts i've done okay so you think that you know potentially he ends up being like a third round type of value yeah i I think i think fourth is where you would ideally take him in some leagues you know especially if it's like they start um you know three receivers two running backs maybe you end up having to take him in the third if everybody else if, if there's a big run on receivers that happens but uh yeah i'd take him over 
uh, some guys that I've seen go ahead of him. I'm trying to like remember off the top of my head, but uh, he's going too far. I think he should be a fourth round pick some chance of paying off as a third round value but uh yeah definitely better than fifth round okay i like that so yeah once again uh the bears uh team to watch and that they they should be very exciting so i'm pumped to see where they go with in the draft and then uh i'm ready to just see this offense on the field i'm already just pumped yeah for, pumped i think Nagy's gonna do a great job and it's like that's a division with good quarterbacks so they're uh good defenses too in a, at least the case of the bears and the, the vikings but i think it'll be a pretty uh, shootout prone division at least before the winter happens <laughs> right before winter comes so yeah that's gonna be great um let's shift gears a little bit uh for our last segment of the show uh let's circle back with a little bit of pro day uh discussion there are some pretty crazy pro days that happened over the course of the last week one guy in particular a guy that uh i thought was a huge glaring omission from from the combine uh He's a guy that totally blew up at the uh, East-West Shrine game, I want to say, which is uh, about a step below what the Reese's Senior Bowl is, and that's Darius Fountain, um, a guy that's actually from here in Madison, Wisconsin, yeah. ended up going to uh, Northern Iowa, uh, school made famous by Mr. David Johnson himself, um, and he uh, just really showed out. Uh, I know that pro days tend to be a little bit fluffy or you know favor the player a little bit, but a guy as big as he is, uh, ran like a four four six uh, forty, and I think he also uh, jumped in with it with a great uh, vertical. Yeah, it was like forty one forty two in the broad jump. Also, would have been like one of the highest at the combine. And mm-hmm. it's weird because that that intel was out for a while on him. It was he was supposed to test really well, so it was weird that he wasn't brought to the combine, especially when right. by all accounts he was doing well at and the. Yeah, if you do well at at, a, at an all star game like that, you that usually greases the skids and helps get you that combine invite that you yeah. otherwise might not have gotten. Yeah, there's definitely worst players they invited to the combine this year but uh yeah it's weird how both Doris fountain and jester Wea were at madison high schools and they actually both turned out to be good athletes too but wisconsin i don't know if they didn't offer either one but they let them both get away uh so that's weird one of them to like a quantifiably much worse type of program yeah but it's, it's just odd because like wisconsin's such a traditionally wide receiver needy team and it's like these two guys they're just like i don't know what i can do with this 42 inch vertical guy yeah, uh, just let him roll so yeah he looks uh, doris fountain was not invited to the combine but he might be like the chad williams of this draft because chad williams followed the exact same trajectory last year where he got uh, attention i think the east west shrine no the senior bowl actually um out of grambling and then he didn't get to the combine and people were like oh i guess he's bad and then he went in the third round anyway to the cardinals so i think fountain's probably gonna have something like that happen third fourth round even though he wasn't at the combine but yeah, six two two hundred. Like it's not exactly like wide receiver one build or skill set, probably. But uh, I think there's reason to think he's probably one of the more high upside receiver prospects and that might just be because the draft doesn't have a lot of it but still yeah no he's definitely one of the more intriguing guys uh it'll be interesting to see kind of where he where like the draft helium kind of pushes him up because he's a guy that you know like we said uh had the really intriguing numbers here uh, and certainly showed that he can hack it with with you know it an upper level of competition given how much he was able to kind of dominate um at that east west shrine game another guy um a guy that you in particular have been pretty high on um notre dame running back josh adams a guy that didn't get to do everything at the combine but he was able to uh, get it going at notre dame's pro day recently and clocked in uh, as well for a guy that's six foot two 215 pounds clocks in with a 448 in the 40 and in a year where uh good 40s were kind of 
tough to come by for the for running backs that that placed him like in a pretty decent regard if uh if you put his number in with the rest of the combine performances yeah i think when you add the kind of like pro day handicap i think you might lower it to more like a four five five by combine track but that's still good enough much worse than what chubb did right uh chubb i guess is uh he's got like way better like body mass index uh like he's really stout so it's like with the with adams the only concern that i really have and i I think it's fair to to be somewhat concerned with is is he's kind of lanky like he's he's a big running back but he's not a dense one like chubb like chubb's heavier at a like four inches shorter or something like that Yeah. so the strike zone uh for where yeah, you can for where exactly. you can hit adams is a lot lot bigger and like you said um you know i think that 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 is something to be concerned about and he doesn't run with like even if he did run with the pronounced forward lean it still wouldn't be enough like he's just the way he's built uh kind of opens itself to to getting hit uh pretty tough right so he's like a high six one probably should be listed at like six two two twenty by the time he's on the field and i think with a player like him it's just a question of like how much do you have to pay to get him because even with the concern of like the short career or their injury proneness, it's like there's a certain point in the draft where it's still worth taking him, if only because it's like this is a guy who was uniquely explosive at Notre Dame, like very, very productive. Like they haven't had a running back like him in quite a long while. Uh, 6.7 yards per carry over 480 carries 6.9 yards per carry last year when he went over the 200 carry mark so it's not there all just a point where he was getting a little bit of heisman buzz last year for the way he was running oh he was a beast season. last year yeah and I, I didn't realize how fast he was and i actually got to mention i guess uh uh, Fusuvu on Twitter. I'm pretty sure he named Adams as one of his like highest uh, speed readings, like top speed speed readings on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's he's one of those guys who it's like very explosive rushing production, uh, good recruiting pedigree, and we have reason to believe he's like one of the highest top speeds at the position. Even though he's pretty big for a runner, so it's like yeah, even if he only can give you 11, 12 games a year because he gets you know his shoulders separated at some point every time. Like if you're getting him in the fourth round, who cares? It's like yeah. that's a that's an explosive runner for most of the time, and uh, doesn't cost much to get him. So he's someone that I liked in dynasty, just as like that kind of like you know pick twenty through thirty six range, like in the third round of drafts, where you see a lot of the like, people on Twitter, dynasty Twitter, talking about you know taking like John Kelly, Carry on Johnson in this range of the draft. Like, I'd much rather have Adams, like not even close. Like this guy was so much more productive than those two. And even if he's, you know, not, uh, conventionally, you know, built like an NFL running back is like he produced as one better than the other guys we're talking about. People are just really, really hell bent on, on, uh, you just like applying the the alvin Kamara logic onto john kelly but it, it's just he's so far from being the same type of player that's just a, a you know it's not a worthwhile comparison the five me. the five yards of carry red flag rule is there for a reason and it's like yeah there i i will say kelly could be an exception to that because he was on such a bad tennessee team but like you should not be taking carry and johnson ahead of josh adams in my opinion carry and johnson had things in place to do better than five yards of carry he never did it even in like a small sample size season so it's uh with kelly you can kind of imagine it like maybe if he was on a different team he he wouldn't have finished with 4.1 yards per carry or whatever uh but it's like i'd rather not have to work to 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 give that you know generous presumption when i could just take adams yeah there you go and yeah adams really you know like that high upside guy like you mentioned um another guy i wanted to talk about a guy that didn't uh have his final season in college go the way he wanted because of some off the field stuff 
Uh, but Kaleeb Woods, um, out of Florida Atlantic, uh, had a pretty impressive pro day. I mean, he's a guy that, um, you know, he's like six foot three, uh, checked in at a little bit skinny for being that tall. He's listed at 189 here from what i'm seeing but he ran a four five five in the 40 which is you know i thought that was that ended up being pretty good he had a if you want to see his production or delve, delve into that a little bit more look into the, his 2016 uh season rather than his 2017 one but i think he's a guy that you know might be uh worthy of like a late round flyer maybe he's working himself into that uh mold but again like the the off the field stuff yeah might kind of end up making him an undrafted free agent that's just gets picked up right after the draft yeah he's one of those uh, long range guys to keep an eye on but it could go a lot of different ways depending on how they they read into his history and everything um and i guess i guess the other pro day thing i would want to address is you might hear about the texas tech pro day and especially how dylan cantrell who already had a good combine but he had a good combine as like a tight end tweener you know six three two thirty kind of quick sort of receiver he ran a four five nine at the combine at the pro day for texas tech he was credited with a four four seven and a four five flat so uh, what i take that to mean is dylan cantrell is not getting faster although you might hear people implying something like that like oh andy runs a four five like he probably doesn't it's probably a fast track at texas uh, texas tech so uh yeah just just assume that was a point one, you know bonus playing running on a rubber track or something yeah, like that like, i mean we saw we saw something similar with like jakeem grant i think two years ago that like he ran he supposedly ran unofficially some ridiculous 40 time on that track so yeah uh cantrell still has a great athletic profile but don't don't listen to like the if you, if you hear people talking about how he almost runs a four four two it's like he, he doesn't run that um and similarly you might hear about cameron batson running a four three two just think of him as like more of a four four he's he's like a slot guy who might make some noise as like a in the preseason as an undrafted guy but um just don't go thinking dylan cantrell is uh you know the more the new more it's boring or anything like that yeah he's i mean still end of the day he like he definitely warrants like the workout warrior uh type of tag and like he he was relatively productive at texas tech but i I still i think he's like devin could just basically without the durability concerns which is which is interesting but it's just like you know fifth round pick kind of thing yeah it shouldn't be uh much higher than that it'll he'll definitely be like a day three uh guy to say the least but that's going to wrap things up for today's uh nfl podcast here for rotowire for mario puig i'm john mckechnie we will be back next week to do more stuff because we are getting close to draft we're about a month away so stay tuned for more of that coming up next wednesday